0: We help you launch, grow, and maximize.
1: In all of the conflicts that take place between them and us, we have to realize there is no them. There's just us.
0: Oh yeah. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to the Enterprise Now podcast, where we educate, motivate, inspire, and transform business owners and entrepreneurs into success. That is what we do. We help folks launch, grow, and maximize. Ken Cloak is a world recognized mediator, teacher, author, pioneer, and leader in the field of mediation and conflict resolution for the last 37 years. Ken is recognized as a leader and engaged participant in civil rights, student rights, and peace movements. As a mediator, he has helped resolve thousands of conflicts by creating a safe space where people could come together, listen to each other, and dismantle their emotional reactivity to each other. With his impressive resume, experience, and mindset, enterprisers will surely benefit from listening to this episode. All right, Ken. Can I get it? oh yeah? Oh yeah. Nice. First of all, Ken, like I do every single time that I chat with fantastic folks like you, thank you for your time. That is the one thing that you cannot get back and it is extremely valuable. So thank you so much for taking some time out with us today
1: thank you for taking the time and inviting me.
0: The second thing I'd like to do is to ask you to tell us about yourself. Now, when I say that, what I mean is feel free to go all the way back to when it all started, or you can start more current day. Tell us about yourself.
1: Sure. Well, I guess going back to when it all started, I grew up in the 1960s and was very much a part of all of the various political movements of that time. And the student movement and the civil rights movement. I worked in the South as a civil rights worker in Selma and Montgomery in Southern Alabama and South Georgia, and then became very involved in social conflict and was actually what you could think of as a professional conflict creator. And what then happened is I realized that if you wanted to achieve something like the right to sit in at a lunch counter and be served, demonstrations were a very good way of doing that. But if you wanted to change people's hearts and minds, you had to dig deeper. And you had to have a different set of techniques that you would adopt. And so I had become a lawyer and was practicing constitutional law, civil rights, civil liberties law, and then became a law professor. And after that, I became a judge for the state of California, in a couple of different administrative agencies and realized that what I was doing wasn't really very effective or very satisfying and discovered in 1980 mediation conflict resolution and have been practicing it full-time ever since then. So I have now for the last 40 years been a full-time mediator working with everything from divorcing couples, families, community disputes, cross-cultural disputes through litigated cases, organizational disputes, workplace disputes. I've written several books on those and mediated hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of those disputes. I also work internationally. I created an organization called Mediators Beyond Borders, and we're working in a number of different countries right now. So this has been an amazing journey, and what I've realized is that the things that I believed in when I began are very much a part of the process. Treating everybody with respect and dignity, creating a kind of equality in terms of who has the right to say what issues need to be addressed, creating dialogues between people, doing problem solving, working together, creating collaborative approaches to difficulties that people face. That's the basic idea of conflict resolution and what I basically do every day.
0: Now, Kim, we're going to take a step back a little bit and learn a little bit more about you. What's your favorite thing to do?
1: My favorite thing to do is to work with people who are completely at odds with each other and find ways for them to discover something that is really quite wonderful about the other person, something interesting, something that they hadn't been able to realize beforehand, some ability to appreciate who the other person actually is, to create conversations between people who haven't been able to talk to each other.
0: Now, going back to your background, you mentioned that you were involved in student rights and then civil rights. That's not normal. What made you want to be involved in that type of work?
1: Well. It isn't really normal. It wasn't normal at the time. It's a little difficult to describe today, but we kind of can have a bit of a sense of it. It came from a moral place, from a place that said that we are all human beings and nobody deserves to be treated this way. It came from a kind of fundamental belief in democracy that everybody should have the right to vote. Everybody should have the right to participate in deciding what is going to happen regarding the issues that impact their lives. Once I got started, it became quite clear, the more that you read, the more that you heard about what was happening in the world, it became obvious that if you didn't act, you were really retreating from a fundamental moral issue of our times. And that, even though it was scary to work in these environments... We were attacked and had to face dogs and police officers and Ku Klux Klan and a lot of violence. The alternative of running away, to me, was scarier than the one of facing up to a major challenge that everybody faced. But we knew that if we didn't stand up to it, something really important would be lost. I'm not sure exactly whether that answers your question, but that's kind of close to what I think most of us were feeling.
0: That's really good. One thing that I wrote down was the alternative was scarier than the danger. A lot of times when people, even in business, right, you think about what if it doesn't work or what if it fails? And I know in my own journey, it was just that. It was the thought, the idea, or the chance that I don't give this a try is scarier to me than doing it and failing. So I I definitely get that. Obviously, it's not on the level of the work that you guys did, but definitely get that principle. Do you see any parallels in today's culture to in the 60s? Or has the conversation and the narrative been changed such that we just don't talk about it as much? Because the issues are different, but it's not a lot different.
1: Yeah, a lot is the same. Meaning what the specific form of it was do you have the right to ride on a bus in an integrated group? Do you have the right to sit at a lunch counter and order a meal? Do you have the right to use a water fountain that says whites only on it? Those were the specific ways in which this would show up. But the general, the underlying issue was the issue of recognizing the value and importance of diversity, recognizing the value of importance of coming to terms with people and cultures and even personalities and political views that are different from those that you have for yourself. And so that continues to this day and is a very fundamental, almost, I would say, again, a moral-like question about how we treat each other and this is one of the reasons why we are divided really as a nation is because we haven't yet gotten the point that we are all in this together. But that point is being made right now very powerfully by the coronavirus. We are, in fact, all in this together. Everybody can get this disease. Everybody can die from it. Everybody is being impacted by all of the various measures that are taking place. And so there's a kind of A way in which we are being brought to realize that the little divisions that we create between them and us, between if you're male with people who are female, if you're white with people who are black, Anglo, Latino, whatever it might happen to be, whoever you are, the entire world is facing this issue. And we are stronger if we face it together. And I think what we have to then realize is that this is only one of a number of global issues that no longer respect national boundaries. You can't deal with coronavirus in one nation only. Our modern system of transportation means that it can go around the world in a matter of hours. And if some group of people come down with it in one place, other people are going to come down with it somewhere else. So we're being forced to look at this. And I think there are other issues like that that we're being forced to look at by circumstance. But the reality is, there's a deeper understanding that we can come to. And my way of saying that is, in all of the conflicts that take place between them and us, we have to realize there is no them. There's just us. And the creation of the idea of a them is something that has taken place inside of our heads, out of fear, out of frustration, out of our own inner needs that haven't been met, out of anger over some way that we've been treated. But it's just a construct that we've created. And it's one that isn't particularly useful. And it's one that is incredibly damaging, both to others and to ourselves.
0: One of the underlying concepts I think that I hear when I hear you describe these things is self-preservation. How do we get to the point, and tying this back to your days and your work in both student rights and civil rights, because it's all related, right? It's about the idea or that mindset that self preservation is bigger or more important. And really, we could use that anchor to talk in terms of the religious aspects of things as well. But talk a little bit about how you worked through that because you didn't have to do this work. You could have been just fine had you been indifferent and just lived your life. But there was something that happened, something that changed in your mindset or You mentioned the morality piece, but how do you begin to get over that? If you're a person, you're listening to this and say you do care, say you do notice that, hey, things are not the way I want them to be, but you don't know where to start to begin to say, okay, me helping or me doing work in this space is not going to upend or uproot or change my trajectory or my ability to succeed. How do you begin to get to that place?
1: I think the first thing that we have to recognize is that the logic of self-preservation takes you directly to the need to preserve others and help them and their self-preservation as well. Because none of us can survive alone on this planet. If we talk about one individual person surviving, it would be pretty tough. There are ways in which individuals have done this, of course, over long periods of time in hunting and gathering bands. But even there, we're in tribes, in groups, in families. And so without at least two, there are no children. There's no ability to really live a human life. So the smallest human unit is not one, it's two. And we discover ourselves in relationship with each other, but we forget that. We forget it in our marriages. We forget it in our families. And so, if you think about self preservation in a marriage, you just abolished your marriage if you aren't concerned about the preservation of your spouse. And in a family, if you aren't concerned about the preservation of your children, you lost the whole sense of family. And these are valuable, incredibly important, wonderful things. So, if you just take that to its logical conclusion, you can see that there is some part of each of us that gets diminished, that is lost, when we separate ourselves from other people and turn against them. Whoever those other people are, they're still human beings and there is some place inside of us that is stronger and that is larger as a result of our ability to connect with those people and to learn from them. We aren't just helping them, we're helping ourselves. And there are many, many ways in which that becomes true, but we forget it and we especially forget it in conflict. So
0: what are the top two or three keys to successful mediation?
1: So the first thing that has to be achieved is the ability of people to actually sit in the same room with each other. And sometimes that's difficult. There are families that have not connected for decades. There are spouses who can't speak to each other. And so the first obstacle that we have to overcome is the one that says, I can't be in your presence. And all that that is, is a confession of a lack of skill at being able to handle a conversation between yourself and somebody that you disagree with. And the reason for that is because of intense emotion, which I'll come to in a moment. The second part is being able to listen to someone else describe what happened to them. But unfortunately, the way that we begin most conflict conversations is with the word you. And that word you takes the form of an accusation. And as soon as we hear ourselves being accused of something, our immediate response are to deny it and to counter accuse. This is basically the fight or flight reflex. And the third thing that we have to do is we have to begin to dismantle the place where we slip into the fight or flight reflex or we begin to become hostile and aggressive and adversarial in situations where we don't have to. So the problem is it's very difficult for someone in conflict to do that themselves and that's why mediators are used and why they're so important because the mediator is a person who is able to create the space in which people can come together in which they can listen to each other, in which they can dismantle their emotional reactivity to each other. And then what they can begin to do is to engage in joint problem solving, figuring out what the problems are and how are we going to address them? Can we address them together? And that's a short version of what happens in the mediation process.
0: Fantastic. As the old saying goes, Ken, time flies when you're having fun. We're at the end of our conversation, but I don't want to let you go without giving you an opportunity to tell people if they want to learn more about you, what you do, how they can contact you. How can people reach out?
1: The best way is through my website, which is www.kencloak.com. Cloak is spelled C-L-O-K-E. And there are lots of other websites that they just go online and type in mediation or conflict resolution. They'll see lots and lots of resources. And I have a number of books on Amazon as well in case people want to dig in deeper. The latest one is called politics, dialogue, and the evolution of democracy. And it's about political conflicts that we have with each other and ways of overcoming some of those political conflicts. And we're not just settling, but trying to resolve them at a deep level.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ken, for your time.
1: I really appreciate it, Elsie. It's been a pleasure talking with you
0: enterprisers if you got value from that awesome conversation let the world know by subscribing to the email list and leaving a review on your favorite podcast app that helps us know that we're bringing you golden nugget filled conversations with the most inspirational business owners reach out at podcast at enterprisenow.net with any feedback or questions for me or any of my guests thanks again folks and we'll talk with you guys next time